the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The greatest times we become bad witnesses is when we lack self-control. Because when, when we lack self-control and we just start doing things that the world does, it's probably one of the biggest hindrances to them ever really coming to faith because when they see our lack of self-control living our lives just like the rest of the world without really being men and women under the control of the Holy Spirit, it just it really blows our testimony. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Peter. As a Christian, people are watching you, whether you want them to or not, to see if you are any different from them. In today's message, Pastor Gary will explain that one of the greatest hindrances of people deciding not to be a Christ follower is when they see Christians not having self-control. When you let yourself be caught up in the things of this world and you are living your life just like everyone else, people will not see a reason to become a Christian. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. He's one of the original 12. He knows that. He's just simply identifying himself in the first verse. He's Shimon Petros. He's Simon Peter, a bondservant, a slave willingly committed my life to my master, Jesus, and I'm also an apostle. And he writes again here in verse 1, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Isn't that good the way he refers to our faith? Is, it's precious. It's a precious commodity. You know, we should not take this for granted. To those who have, been, who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice that God modifies Savior, which modifies Jesus. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, right? So God is Jesus. Jesus is God. He's pointing out that fact that Jesus is God in flesh by his introduction there. And he says in verse 2, God is flesh as in, in Jesus. And say, he says in verse 2, grace and peace. That's often those twin words that go together. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Charis, shalom. This is a Greek and a Hebrew greeting. Be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him who called us by his by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust so he mentions here you might have picked up on it there between verses 2 and um and 4 Uh, the word knowledge. He says there in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge. The word knowledge appears five times alone in chapter 1. The word appears seven times overall in in the whole epistle, three chapters. But it appears five times here alone in chapter 1. And most of the time, not every time, there are two different words for knowledge in the Greek. One is epinosis and one is gnosis. Uh, Gnosis just means intellect or knowledge. Epinosis means experiential knowledge. Uh, it's, it's the difference between, you know, just gaining information by studying. That's gnosis. That's knowledge. And having a personal encounter whereby you learn through experience. It's that epinosis that is mentioned here in verse 2. When he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He's talking about an experiential knowledge. This is not some ethereal thing. This is just, you know, some philosophical idea, some notion about Jesus. That Jesus is knowable. That he is personable. You know, Gandhi once mistakenly said, God is that indefinable something which we all uh, feel, but which we cannot know. And of course, you know, Hinduism doesn't offer a personal relationship with a living God. Christianity does. And Peter was saying here basically that it's more than just a, a mental knowledge of God, that you can actually have an experiential knowledge with God. That's the word that is being used here, epinosis. And as to his divine power, notice, that has given to us all things. You know, Our ability to have that experiential knowledge, that relationship with God, is the direct result of His divine power. It's nothing that we've done to achieve it. It's it's the result of God's impartation of His grace, His power, His opening heaven to us, His being made available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. This comes by His divine power given to us pertaining to all things that pertain to life. Circle that word in your Bibles. That word in the Greek is zoe, not bios. You know, biology is the study of life that pertains to physical life. Zoe is a different Greek word that means the fullness of life, the fullness of life, every aspect of of life. He says that his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life, Zoe, and godliness through the knowledge. Here's epinosis again, this tangible experiential knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Now, I like the way he said in verse 1 about precious faith, and now he mentions here in verse 4 precious promises. What is he, what is he talking there about? What precious promises are given unto us? Well, actually, somebody counted and listed. I didn't check it out to know if it's true. You can count it on your own time. 7,474 promises are in the Bible. 7474. Somebody counted it out. I, I don't know if it's true or not. You can go home and count it yourself. But when you look at the Bible from cover to cover, there are a lot of promises that God makes. So when he speaks here about promises, 
It's stuff like, well, for example, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We quote this a lot about trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your way acknowledge him, and he will what? Direct your paths. That's a promise. When we trust in the Lord, we acknowledge him. We don't lean on ourselves. We lean on God. The promise attached to that is, and I'm going to direct your paths. James 4, 7, and 8. Another example, it says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There's a couple promises in there. When you resist the devil, uh, he will flee. That's God saying that's a promise. If you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. That's a promise. So all through Scripture, Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It, it's, it's an invitation. We call on the Lord. We cry out to him. We can be saved. And so there's all kinds of promises all through the Bible. Again, perhaps many, as many as 7,474. And so Peter says, you know, we've been given all these exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers, notice at the end of verse 4, of the divine nature. What is that? Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through Lust. Well, that last part, again, is what I opened up with, that part of what Peter writes in both First Peter and Second Peter is this whole concept that we don't belong to the world. Once we've been saved, we have been rescued from the world. We still have to live out our natural lives in this world, but now we are living it differently and for the glory of God, and we're passing through. We're aliens. We're strangers. We should begin to feel strangely uncomfortable in this world because our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, and that's our ultimate destination. And And so he speaks there about this divine nature. And what he means by that is, upon birth, we all enter into a human nature. We're given a human nature. We're born uh, uh, physically. And so we have a human nature. And by the way, a lot of things attached to our human nature are not good because we're born into sin. Uh, David would write in Psalm 51, surely I was sinful from birth, uh, from, from the conception of my mother's womb. So we inherit a human nature, which is a sinful nature. But then when we get saved, by that I mean when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we surrender our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, what God imparts to us is His divine nature, that there's a spiritual rebirth that happens. And with God's divine nature comes God's desires. We begin to have longings, like God's longings, We begin to have desires like God's desires. We begin to have a perspective like God's perspective. It all comes with that divine nature. It's not that we are divine, all right? Don't let it go to your head. It's only the idea that God has imparted to us a spiritual rebirth. And now, prior to that, our human nature was completely uh, persuaded and guided and governed by human appetites and human desires and human philosophies. You get saved and now you have God's divine nature. Now you have God's perspective, uh, God's ideas, God's uh, wisdom, God's uh, values. Everything related to God becomes part of you. Now, therein lies the conflict, though, because your, your, your flesh has not been regenerated, but you've been given an impartation of God's divine nature. So your longings and your appetites are now for God, but you still might have that sin struggle because we're having a divine nature that is still housed within a human nature. And so the conflict exists. But your appetite is going to be governed by your nature. And before I got saved, my appetite, my personal desires were all humanly. 
And once you get saved, now you have a whole new appetite because you've been given a divine nature. You've been given God's uh, his, um, longings. And so, therefore, now you have an appetite for the things of God. And you, you know the difference, don't you? Before you got saved, you had appetites for the things of the world. Once you get saved, you have more appetites for the things of God. And so he has given us of his divine nature, having escaped now the corruption that is in the world through lust. Verse 5. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, and IV says in increasing measure, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge, there you have it again, epinosis, of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that, we, that he was cleansed from his old sins. So here's what he's basically saying. He says, okay, listen, we've been given divine nature. So God has imparted to us his heart, his longings, his spirit. Okay, now we have different appetites because we want to please God and not just living for the world. Having said that, though, he says, but there are some things incumbent upon us in living out our faith so that the divine nature gets the upper hand in our lives rather than the human nature. And so he says, so in order that the divine nature might be dominant in your lives and not your human nature, he he gives advice here. And that's why he says in verse 5, but also for this very reason, meaning everything I just said that he wrote about in the previous verses. You know, you've been given God's divine nature. Great. Now, operate in that. And in order to operate in that, you're going to have to do this. Giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now, it's almost as if you could put a colon after the word faith there, because he's going to give seven qualities following that should be added to our faith. So I want you to think of basically faith like the platter, and and on this platter, you're going to have a seven-layer cake. All right, because he's going to give seven qualities. Now, I want you to build on your faith. Your faith is the foundation. So it's like the platter upon which the seven-layer cake is going to be laid. And, and he says, so in addition to adding to your faith, the first word he says there is, first layer on this cake, virtue. I want you to add virtue. I think some of your translations say goodness. Virtue is basically moral excellence. He's saying, I, I want you to be people of moral excellence in the way that you live your life. And he adds, next to virtue, I want you to add knowledge. Now, this is interesting. Now, this is the different Greek word. It's not epinosis. It's gnosis. And so now he's saying it's good to grow in the accumulation of knowledge about the Lord. And so it is both epinosis, experiential. He wants you to grow in your relationship. But he says basically here, it's also good to just grow in understanding. Like, read your Bibles and Grow in the knowledge of Jesus and develop an understanding of who he is. And, and, and in, in reading the Bible, just add, add to virtue knowledge, learning. Add learning to your faith. You know, sometimes Christians get this bad rap from 
of people who are non-Christians. And, they, and the, the rap is that they think we're just all ignorant and we're all dumb and we're all uneducated. And, you know, if you're really smart, you would believe in, in evolution. If you're really smart, you know, you would, you would believe in, in modern cultural trends instead of holding on to your old antiquity of values. And, you know, and if you're really smart, you'd, you know, and so the world sometimes mocks us with that kind of thing. Listen, add, add to your faith virtue and add to your virtue knowledge. Like, grow, increase in your learning about the Lord and about His Word and, and, and grow in that way. And then he adds to knowledge self-control. I don't know, maybe this is too strong of a statement, but I think to a watching world that does not believe, probably the greatest um, blunders of our testimony the greatest times we become bad witnesses is when we lack self-control. Because when, when we lack self-control and we just start doing things that the world does, it's probably one of the biggest hindrances to them ever really coming to faith because when they see our lack of self-control living our lives just like the rest of the world without really being men and women under the control of the Holy Spirit, it just it really blows our testimony. So let's be people of self-control. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, too, by the way. He says, add to self-controlled perseverance. We should, you know, continue to run the race with perseverance. Being a Christian is not always going to be easy. It certainly won't always be popular. Um, It's not going to be comfortable. There will be things that people will say about you um, that often aren't true, but it's their perception of what a Christian is. And so, you know, they will say things to discourage you. And it can become weary, at times, especially when, you know, you, you, you don't seem to be getting the answers to prayer the way that you want. And so you can become discouraged, like why God doesn't hear my prayers or why did he answer it differently instead of the way I asked him? And, and uh, you, know, you know, why is my child a prodigal? And, you know, when are they ever going to come back? And, and all of these things that begin to weigh on us, why did this happen in my life? And, and uh, what does this mean about God? And does he love me? Does he care about me? And and so, you know, living the Christian life is, is sometimes difficult. It is, a, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, we need to be in this for the long run. And, and perseverance is a quality that should mark Christians. Don't give up. Persevere. Uh, Paul tells us in Galatians that we will uh, reap a harvest of righteousness if we don't give up. That we have to persevere, run this race with perseverance. He, he says, add to perseverance, godliness. Uh, godliness is pretty self-explanatory. It's God-likeness. Uh, we need to be living a devoted life that really exemplifies the Lord in our lives. He says, add to godliness a brotherly kindness. That is, that is actually the Greek word Philadelphia. Um, to, to have that kind of brotherly love one for another. Uh, but then he, he raises the bar even higher because he says, add to brotherly love, love itself, which is agape, the highest form of love that comes only because God gives it to us. It is Christ's love in our hearts. And then he says, now I want you to show that love to other people. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's that agape love. Agape love is not always convenient. Agape love is a discipline. Really, love itself, you know, has been overstated as an emotion. Love is much more than an emotion. Love is a discipline. There are times that you will do unlovely things, and there are times that people will do unlovely things towards you. You know, love is not one of these things that we turn on and off. Love is something that we demonstrate all the time. 
Because there are plenty of times that we are pretty unlovely and, and people still love us. You know, there's a lot of stuff we do pretty unlovely before God and he still loves us. He doesn't love what we do, but he still loves us. And we need to be people also who are as loving with the same love that we have received. And he says there in verse 8, for if these things are yours and abound, if, if you continue to grow in these things, you'll be neither barren uh, nor unfruitful. Uh, I think NIV says uh, you won't be unproductive uh, or unfruitful. And I don't, I don't think any of us want to be unfruitful in our Christian lives. I think, I think all of us want to be fruitful. We want to be productive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted. I mean, if these things don't characterize our lives, we're, we're blind. That's what he's saying. He says, you know, don't be blind to this. Uh, don't forget how you've been cleansed from your old sins. Don't forget how God has saved you from a wrecked life. And may these things characterize our lives now that we're in Christ. Therefore, verse 10, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, that's the ultimate goal. We want heaven as our ultimate reward. And he says here, the door is going to be kicked wide open to you. This entrance will be supplied to you abundantly uh, because of what Christ has done. But, but he says, listen, there, there's a part on us. This is, this, is where, this is where the Bible is balanced in its approach to the whole concept of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Is God sovereign? Yes. Is man responsible too? Yes. Is it solely about man's responsibility? No. Is it solely about God's uh, sovereignty? No. Because the Bible always talks about the tension of both. And the idea of our faith being uh, uh, strictly based on God's sovereignty, that, that he, Jesus only died for a select few, that he sovereignly chose those who should be saved and those who should be damned, well, well, well that isn't uh, biblically balanced any more than the other argument, which is to say that your salvation is completely dependent upon yourself and, and that you, you gain your salvation and keep your salvation and earn your salvation and, and all of this stuff. Th- there's this beautiful tension in between. So Peter gets through saying here, hey, you've been given the divine nature through faith in Jesus Christ. God has imparted to you his heart, his spirit, his longings. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to add these things to your lives. I want these things to mark your life. You should be growing in abundance in these areas. And and he adds there, too, about how in verse 10, we need to be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Well, wait a minute. I thought election was all up to God. Yes. Well, wait a minute. He's saying here that it's somewhat up to us. Yes. It's working in response to what he has done for us. God is a keeping God, but he also asks us to keep ourselves in a right relationship with him. And that's part of making our calling and our election sure. Because one of the ways that you can take away the mystery and the doubt as to where you stand in relation to Jesus is when you are practicing these things on the list is when you're saying, okay, I'm going to add to my faith virtue, I'm going to add to virtue knowledge, I'm going to add to my knowledge self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. I'm going to continue to grow in my relationship with him. I'm going to keep increasing these things so that I don't stumble, because that's the word he uses there at the end of verse 10. And it's actually, uh, in the Greek, it's ume pateo, meaning shall not fall. That it, it's, it's actually, here's a promise here. It's like, you keep growing in these things, 
Don't worry about falling. It's not an issue. You keep growing in these in these ways. You're not going to stumble. You're not going to fall. It's going to be good. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's all for today's message in Second Peter on Cornerstone Connection. We're glad we had the chance to open the Word with you, and we pray it's been a blessing to you. Pastor Gary has more to share from this New Testament letter, but for now, you can explore his teachings on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find a list of messages available there, and feel free to download and share them. We have a mobile app as well, and you'll find a link to be able to download online too. This is a convenient way to take the Word with you on the go and a great way to fill the pauses in your day. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services start at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each Sunday. And please feel free to bring your whole family. We have child care available during all of our services. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you aren't nearby or you can't make it in for one of our services, you can still join us virtually. We live stream each gathering on our website. With that, our time with you has come to a close. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us next time to continue studying through the book of 2 Peter right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know